Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. series Simon Peter and we'll see how uh, how we get through this today it's been a lot of fun today so far um, and we're in our second week of this and um, as we get started I want to talk to you about doppelgangers 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 is kind of a really popular term as of late and what a doppelganger is is somebody that you look like but you're not related to right you're not blood rel- relative of them um, but you kind of look like and so all of us have different doppelgangers, and I've seen some of you, and I'm thinking of some right now, and I shouldn't say them, um, but um, <laughs> there, we all have different doppelgangers, and um, especially different phases of your life. So different phases of my life, um, especially mid-high, and we'll kind of peek into that a little bit later in service too, um, I was compared to Screech off Saved by the Bell. Um, I was also, because Napoleon Dynamite wasn't yet out, um, I'm telling you, Napoleon Dynamite could be my biography uh, as, as, a, as a student of mid-high. Um, when I got into college, I was compared a lot to, Seinfeld, uh, to, to Kramer off Seinfeld. Um, when I got older, when I got married, when um, everything kind of got straightened out, um, once I was compared, some kids mistook me for Kyle Orton, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos at one point in time. We're at this uh, uh, a hotel in Miami, and these like four or five kids say, are you Kyle Orton? And I was like, yes, I am. Um, and they asked for an autograph. I signed an autograph. I took pictures with them, and they just had a picture with some weird guy um, that's pretending to be somebody. He's like, look, mom's called, and that's not Kyle Orton. That's some weird, anyways, um. You know, we have doppelgangers. We look like, some people have said I look like Thor when I have my shirt off. I don't know. It's weird. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Um, maybe fat Thor, but that's it. Um, but there was, there was a student at ORU, his name's Jeffrey Graff, that I was walking up in the student section for um, uh, 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 ORU girls and men's soccer game, watching some of our students play. And as I go up, all the student section, like, turns at me and starts talking about me and whispering. And you know when people are like whispering and talking about you. Like it's obvious. They're like, look at him. And like when that started happening, if you're a guy, you instantly do a fly check, right? You just make sure your fly zipped up, you're walking, and you're like, okay. And I did my fly check. I'm like, I'm okay. I got over to Casey. I'm like, Casey, is there something weird about me? She's like, where do I start, right? Like, (laughs) No, you're pretty normal right now. And then this guy named Jeffrey comes up and he goes, man, he goes, I could be your son. And I looked at him 
And I looked at it, kind of, I don't know what I look like. And I looked at him, I was like, yeah, I, I guess you could. Um, and it was really, I bet he was the most popular guy just based on his looks at ORU. I think that's what they said. But um, I, as I, it, it really was weird. And it was like, dude, that is crazy. And he does look like me. Since I'm older, I don't look like him. He looks like me, you know. And I feel sorry for the guy. And I pray for him all the time now. Um, but there, there are some people that you don't just look like, but you act like, right? Let me give tips for all the husbands out there. Never tell your wife she acts like her mother. Um, it usually is not going to go well. Even if she's an awesome lady, it's still not going to go well. Um, so, um, But there are some people we act like that we are similar to. And today I want to talk to you about that with Simon Peter. Because there is a disciple that Simon Peter acted a lot like. And we don't give a lot of thought to because um, to be real honest, he's got the bad rap. He's the bad disciple. I want to talk to you about the similarities between Simon Peter and Judas. Simon Peter and Judas. And, and when I say Judas, all of us are like, oh, that guy. You know, the traitor, the, the sorry sucker Judas. Like, yeah, I, I know that guy. But, but here's what I want to, us to start with. I want us to erase the, the perception we have of Judas just for a second. And look at the similarities of both Simon Peter and Judas. First off, it's they're both were Jewish. Um, both of them were called by Jesus to follow him. That means Jesus, check this out. Jesus invited Judas to follow him. That means at some point in time, Judas was a pretty good guy. Right? This is a guy that left everything to follow Jesus for three years. He slept where Jesus slept. He hung out with Jesus. This is one of Jesus' intimate friends. I mean, this is one of the 12, one of his boys. I mean, this is this. Judas isn't as bad as we really give him our, our, our kind of the reputation to be. In fact, when a bunch of the followers of Jesus kind of fell off because Jesus was like, man, if you're going to follow after me, you got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood. And everybody's like, whoa, what just happened? It got weird. And they didn't understand. Jesus is talking about his body being broken, his blood being shed. And, and all these people leave. Judas is still hanging there. He's still stuck with it. Jesus, Judas and Simon Peter both saw the miracles. They both listened to the teachings. Both of them made mistakes. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Simon Peter, some people have actually said what Simon Peter did was worse. He denied knowing him three times. And here's a big deal. Simon Peter and Judas both felt remorse for what they did. And, and, and they kind of show us, you know, we, we know the denial, we know the, the betrayal, and, and how does a guy that good end up where he was. Because here's a crazy thing, like you and me, we know people named Simon, we know people named Peter, they name their child after those people because it's respectable names. I, have, I could probably put a hundred bucks, you've never met a person named Judas, right? Like you don't go into a, like go visit a new family and like, yes, I would like you to meet my son Judas, right? Nobody names their son Judas, like everybody's busy trying to make, make the next 
coolest name, like ground, like this is a generation of I'm going to make my kid such a cool name or deep biblical name. His name is Methuselah, and we call him Meth for short, right? Like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like, don't stop. It's not cool anymore. Um, but no matter what's happened, you haven't met a couple that has named their child Judas. Do you know what Judas means in the Greek? It's actually a great meaning. It means to be praised or celebrated. How, how did somebody with all this potential end up as Judas? How does somebody with the name praised or to be celebrated end up being Judas? How did Peter end up doing what he did? They show us one thing that they both had in common. They both did this thing. It's our first thing, but it's simply this. We act in unexpected ways when we experience unexpected things. Judas acted in an unexpected way when he experienced something he wasn't expecting. Peter acted in an unexpected way when he experienced something he wasn't expecting to happen. When Casey and I were dating, and there's controversy on this in the Graves household, still to this day, we argued between services on it, actually. And you're like, the pastor's wife and the pastor argued. Um, it wasn't like an argument. Like, we weren't, like, glaring at each other. But we have a disagreement of when our first date was. Um, as a guy, and I think every guy that is in college, if I take a girl out and I ask you to go out for a meal with me, and then I pay for your meal, and we're not in the school cafeteria, that is a date, dadgummit. That's a date. Um, I'm just telling you, in case, not a date, that's not a date, because it's not a good date. I'm like, it's still a date. I've still paid for it. Anyways, um, so our first official date, the one that Casey calls our date, was to a haunted house, and we had done all these other things, but it was a hayride, haunted hayride, um, into a haunted house, and we'd gone through this whole haunted house uh, hayride part where there's clowns and there's zombies and all this stuff, and none of that really rattled me, and, and, and we kind of come to the end of it, and there's this big building, big tent-looking thing, and, and this is the first time I believe that we were holding hands. I believe that's correct. We're holding hands. Um, and you got to understand, it took me so long to convince Casey to go out with me um, because, believe it or not, this is overwhelming up close. Um, and so she's like, you're a little much. I'm like, let's go, babe. You know, I'm like, and if you think this is overwhelming, like, age this about 20 years in my 20s, and it was like, wah! Um, my... <laughs> Real quick, this is third service. My first sermon I ever preached was called Constipated Christians. Um, so that just kind of gives you a little term. And I talked about how Jesus was a laxative. It was awful. Um, but um, awful. <laughs> awful. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I've got time in third service. So I get to get, run on rabbit trails a little bit. But thank God for his grace. But so we, we walk into this tent. And all of a sudden, there's bright lights. There's fog going everywhere. And there's, somebody has a chainsaw. And it wasn't that just somebody had a chainsaw. They started the chainsaw, and then the exhaust from that chainsaw blew on the back of my leg, on my hamstring. I was like, 
I let go of her hand so fast. I was like, I don't know you, girl. I pushed her towards him. I don't know. Um, I just was like, I'm out. You know, and I just took off. I'm like, no, uh-uh, I'm, I'm gone. I have seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre too long, and we're in Texas. It's real. It's, this was based on a real story, right? Like, I'm like, this is one of those moments. I'm running. I'm out. And Casey, like, I'm out, and I'm with one of my other buddies, and I'm like, where are the girls, you know? I was like, I thought you stayed with him. He's like, I thought you stayed with him. And here come our, our two ladies towards their princess, you know, their knights in shining armor. And Casey's just got this look of disgust like, you little pansy. Like, so glad I said yes, right? Here's the deal. I thought there's no way I would let go of her hand. I thought there's no way I would run because I've got to prove myself to Casey. But when unexpected things happen, we act and we do things we weren't expecting to do. And what Peter and Judas were expecting the Messiah to be, they were expecting the Messiah to come. As good Jewish boys growing up, they expected the Messiah to come and overthrow the whole complete Roman government at that time. He would come in and he would conquer the army and he would overthrow the government and he would overthrow the religious sect of the Israelites and he would lead Israel and they would become this powerhouse. But Jesus starts talking all of a sudden about Suffering at the hands of men. Wait, 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 wait. That's when Peter's like, no, Jesus, I think you got this wrong. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. But, 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 but that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm expecting. That's, that's not why I've been following you is for you to just die at the hands of men like any like disrespectful criminal. Like, you know, he died a criminal's death, a grueling death. No, 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 this can't, this can't be it. And, and Judas the same way. I mean, just this can't be it. And when things happen, when, when Jesus starts talking about this is what's going to happen, I'm going to die at the hands of men, it throws the disciples, it throws Judas, it throws Peter for a tailspin. And it's then that Judas, it's when the woman comes and anoints his feet with burial. It's then that Judas starts looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And we pick up Matthew 26, verse 14 through 16. It says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to, leading priest, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. I was reading several commentaries and several different Bible scholars, and one of this, and you can't prove it, so this is just a theory, but one of the theories out was that Judas, really, his act wasn't as bad as Peter's act because some people believe that Judas was thinking if he could get the Messiah arrested, if he could hand over the Messiahs to the authority, then Jesus would act, then the Messiah would act, and he would overthrow the government, and he was trying to kind of bring him in to Judas's way of thinking, to Judas's way of this is the way it should be, and we don't have any, any, any thought on that. We don't know that for a fact, but it's just a kind of a cool thought. But what we do know is that the Messiah, the way Jesus was, was the way that this was going down was not what he was expecting. And this man who's left everything for three years, this guy who's a good person, who's a good guy, who's been invited by Jesus as one of the 12, who was one who was given a very significant role as one of the disciples to be the one that's in charge of the money. Man. He does something that nobody sees coming. Nobody expected because we do things, we do unexpected things when we're experiencing unexpected situations. Peter did the same thing. Jesus has been handed over 
He's being tried. He's been beaten some. And in Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35, it says, On the way, before all this happens, before all that happens, Jesus says this, On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declared, I love, Peter is my boy. Peter reminds me of so many of us. Even if everyone else deserts you, I'm going to throw all the disciples under the bus in one swift move, right? Like, even if everyone else deserts you, you dirty dogs, I will never desert you. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me, deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter replies, replies no, like, like, who does that to Jesus, right? Like, I'm telling you, Peter, this is what you're going to go. No, I declare it. Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I am your ride or die, man. I am that. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Peter is emphatic that he would never do this. This would never, ever happen. We're coming up on football season. I'm a huge OU fan. I think most of us know that. Um, what you might not know is my guilty pleasure in the NFL is being a Dallas Cowboy fan. Um, and I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan for a long time. Here's the problem. Um, it goes OU, then the Dallas Cowboys. It's that order. Um, and I've really not cared all that much about other NFL teams. On my watch, I'll kind of cheer, but not at like a solid number two. If you would have told me like three years ago that Justin Graves will be a Cleveland Brown fan, I would have called you a bold-faced liar. But can I tell you, I am a bandwagon Cleveland Brown fan because my boy, Baker Mayfield, who some of you are like, but Justin, he's a horrible person. He does questionable things. Absolutely. He's just like Simon Peter. I just compared him to the disciple. Anyways, um, is that he... He went to the Cleveland Browns. We justify things all day. He went to the Cleveland Browns. I got to tell you, all I am is now is like, go dogs. Like, I am in the dog pound. I am there. I'm barking at the TV. I'm, I, I, am, I got no problems with it. I am a Cleveland Brown bandwagon fan. As soon as he's done, I'm done with the TV. I'm just telling you, this is me. I am a Chicago Cubs bandwagon fan just to irritate my buddy Craig Bowman because he's such a big Cardinals fan. I'm like, go Cubs, you know, fly the W, like whatever you want to say. Well, I don't have any allegiance to him, but if you would have told me you are going to be a Cleveland Browns fan, you are going to actually try to find the games and watch them and cheer for them, I'd be like, you're a liar. No, never. I will never do that, right? When unexpected things happen, we do unexpected things. When, when unexpected situations happen in our life, and we do things that we never thought we would do, and this is what Peter does just a few verses later. After Peter's saying, no, emphatically, no, I will never leave you. I will die before I leave you. It says this in verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, G Peter denied it. This time with an, I, with an oath, I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. 
we can tell by your Galilean accent. This is like a person from Alabama saying they're not a Roll Tide Alabama fan. Like you're like, no, I can tell by your accent and you don't have any teeth that you're an Alabama fan, right? Like, I'm sorry, that's Arkansas. Anyways, um, we're coming into football season. Come on, people, let's go. Um, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. How did Peter, just a few verses before, I'm, I'm going to ride or die, I will never, how did Peter go from that to this? Unexpected things happen. And he acted in unexpected ways. And what is true for Judas and Peter is very true for most of us. Is there some of us, the reality is, where you are, how you got to the place that your life is, isn't where you ever thought you would be. You didn't think you'd still be struggling. You didn't think you'd be divorced. You didn't think you'd still be single. You didn't think your marriage would be hanging on by a rope. You didn't think you'd be raising your grandkids. You didn't think that life would be this hard. And to be real honest, if you were to be real honest, you would come to this place and just be like, Justin, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm really disappointed. I'm really discouraged. Because the dreams I had where I thought, just like Peter and Judas with the Messiah, what they thought the Messiah would be, what I thought life would be, would be over here. But now I'm dealing with unexpected things that happen that I didn't see happening when I was 18, that I didn't see happening when I was in my 20s, and now I'm dealing with things, and I have reacted, and I have done things, and nobody has to tell you you've done wrong. You know it. Nobody has to tell you that you've sinned, you know it. And some of you, you watch it online, you can't even come to church because you know it. And you've allowed shame, and you've allowed mistakes, and you've allowed screwing up to just keep you in a place you never expected to be. Because you experienced pain, you experienced hurt that wasn't your fault. Some of it, maybe it was, but you've gone through things you weren't expecting to go through, so you reacted in ways you never thought you would react. What do you do? Because that's where Peter and Judas both were. And both of them felt remorse. But here's the big deal. Here's the dividing moment between Peter and Judas. Is that Peter understood your fall doesn't have to be final. Your fall, your mistake, your regret, your remorse, it doesn't have to be final. Some of us, sometimes we get into a place in life, we don't know if we're going to be able to get out of it. We, we get into this cave, we get into this dark place, we have drifted, we have chosen, we have slipped, whatever you want to call, we've screwed up, and we're just right here in the reality of life, and we don't know if this is the final act, we don't know if this fall is going to be final. Hear me, your fall doesn't have to be final. When I was in mid-high, um, it was some dark, dark years for me, um, awkward years. And to prove that, I have a photo for you. Um, this, is this is a real picture I came across this week. 
Um, this, this, this is my life reality right here. Here's, there's so many issues with this picture that I would, have, I would spend 30 minutes just talking about this picture. I've got a few things. First off, this is the best I looked back in that time. I mean, I'm dressed up for a church directory with Olin Mills, right? Like they had the corner on the market back then. And where the heck am I looking? Like my sister and my mom are looking straight on. And then it's not like I'm in like a big, huge thing where things are happening. My dad's standing over in a corner, which I don't know why my dad's not in the picture. Maybe they were in a fight. Good chance. Um, but maybe I was just like, what? Like, like, this is how I live my life in mid-high. This is a great depiction of, of how I was. But here's the bigger question for me as a parent, who buys this picture? Like, your kid doesn't look, I'm not even looking at the picture. I promise you my mom bought this because her and my, my sister look good. This is how, this is proof that my sister was my mom's favorite, so now I'm my dad's favorite. There you go. Paybacks, yeah. Um, who does this? And there's a place like, you look at that and you're like, how did you become the stud you are today, right? Like, I mean, you got, that's reaching, I know, I know that's reaching, but can I tell you, it took a lot of prayer, a lot of hard work, and some cutting of mullets, um, but there are some moments, honestly, even my mid-high years, I, I went and preached for my mid-high pastor this past Wednesday, and when I walked in, they're like, I still can't believe you are the way you are now. Like, this just blows my mind. Can I tell you, there's, there's places and there's moments where sometimes other people and even yourself don't know if you can come back from. And I can laugh at mid-high, but there's some places you all are at today. You're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, where, how, how do I even, where do I even begin? How, how do I even come back from this fall? How do I come back from this mistake? How do I come back from these decisions I have made? And hear this scripture today. I shared it last week, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Hear me. That word sufficient in the Greek means adequate or enough. Isn't that so good? My grace is adequate. My grace is enough for for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And hear me, this was the big difference. This was the big differentiation between Peter, Simon Peter, and Judas. Is that Judas couldn't get over his mistake. Judas couldn't get over his screw up. He blew it. He messed up. He couldn't get back from that fall. But Peter understood and he did not let his fall become final. In fact, it says this in John chapter 21, verse 1 through 19, records kind of the restoring of Peter with Jesus. And, and, and what we need to understand that in the Gospels, in all four books of the Gospels, all four authors, all four disciples recorded the story of Peter's denial. 
Like, this was a thing. This was a big deal. Like, you meet some people, and they tell you within the first five minutes their thing, right? Like, this is my thing. You know, like, hi, my name's Justin, and I collect baseball cards. It's kind of my thing, right? Like, this was, this was a thing for Simon Peter. All the disciples recorded it. Everybody knew. Did you hear about Peter? Did you see how, I mean, he talked so big, and then he blew it even bigger, right? Like, everybody knew it. And then John chapter 21, verse 1 through 19 says this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, named the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And I think Jesus is kind of digging here because they don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus knows they haven't caught fish, right? He knows everything there is to know. And he's like, hey, guys, (laughs) have you caught any fish? No, you jerk. Like, they don't know it's Jesus. Um, No. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then a disciple, Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I love this because just Peter's calling was the same kind of interaction he had to his restoration. Then the disciple, Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, I love this, they found breakfast waiting them for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. And if I was going to preach something today, and if I was going to preach something else this morning, I would say this. I love that the very thing the men were trying to achieve was found in Jesus' presence. The very thing they were working for, the very thing that they were trying to get was found, that breakfast, the fish, was found right in the presence of Jesus. And you can work all your life to be significant. You can work all your life to find purpose. You can work all your life to be forgiven. You can try and you can try and you can do your best and you can fish all night, but you're going to come up empty every time. But what you need will always be found when you get yourself into the presence of Jesus Christ. He will make you drink water that you will never thirst again. It's found in his presence. Stop looking for it everywhere else. I would preach that if I had more time. However, Jesus said, bring some of the fish Bring some of the fish. Sorry, I lost my place. I got excited. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast. And Jesus said, None of the disciples, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon said, you know I do. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me. And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. 
He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I'll tell you the truth. Whenever you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him the same thing that he said when he called him, follow me. Follow me. What I love about this restoration is Jesus didn't ignore that Peter denied him. That's why he asked the question three times. Jesus wanted to let Peter know, man, I know what you did. But you know what? Do you love me? And there's still grace for you. There's still room for you. Don't, don't, let this, don't let your fall be final. And Peter found something out in this exchange. It's so beautiful. And it's this. There's always room for redemption. There's always room for redemption. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the heart of the gospel is redemption. And the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. They who preach this truth preach the gospel in whatever else they may be mistaken. But they who preach not the atonement, whatever else they declare, have missed the soul and substance of the divine message. Hear this, understand what Charles Spurgeon has said, is if we miss the, the fact of Jesus atoning death on a cross and the shedding of the blood and the resurrection from the dead, we've missed it all. You need to understand, I don't know where you're at, I don't know how you react because unexpected things have made you act in unexpected ways, but what I know is this there's still time there's still room for redemption for you and Paul said this and he wrote this very early on in his in his 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 letter to the church to Colossians it's chapter 1 verse 9 through 14 it says this for this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He, not you, not your behavior, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transported or taken us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption comes from a base word redeem, which literally means to buy back. God wants to, to, to pay in full, to buy back, you no matter where you're at no matter what mistake you've made no matter how bad it is no matter how long you've drifted or how short you've drifted there's still time for redemption there's still room for redemption I'm trying to figure this out and how, how do I explain the bigness of God's redemption the bigness of what God has done on a cross and I started just researching and researching I, I came across this story last night and to be real honest, it kept me up for a lot of the night as I just started thinking about how big God's grace, how sufficient His grace is for us. How, how His grace is enough for us. And it comes from uh, Liberia. There was a civil war in Liberia that happened 
from the years 1989 to 2003. And there's a, a, a warlord there named Joshua Milton Belaya. Um, and I'm, I'm not making this up, um, so it's a little funny, but his actual name he went by is General Butt Naked. True story. You can Google it and be, be careful. Because um, I don't know what might pop up, right? <laughs> like, be careful. But um, one of the reasons is because everywhere he went, he fought with tennis shoes on, and that was it. Because he thought it protected him. He, was, uh, he, he would go in, and um, they asked at one of the tribunals, after the war had settled, they had brought him in because he had committed such heinous crimes. And while they questioned him, they said, how many men and women do you think you have killed? He says, I don't know the entire number, but if I were to calculate it, everything I, would, everything I have done, it would be, it shouldn't be fewer than 20,000 people. 20,000 people. This man was responsible for training 9 and 10-year-olds to be killers, to chop people up into small pieces. He would hatchet people piece by piece. He would cut pregnant women open. He would sacrifice children. He would eat people's hearts. This man was a monster. You're talking a monster. And yet in the midst of, of, of how heinous, like I, I can't even imagine that kind of darkness, that kind of horrible person on April, in the month of April of 1996, a pastor named Pastor Kun Kun, spelled K-U-N-K-U-N, went to this warlord. The, the war kind of starts rising back up, and he goes to this warlord, and he goes and tells him about Jesus. This warlord gets so mad that he shoots his bodyguard in the knees and tells the pastor never to come back, and yet the pastor comes back a little bit later, even though he knows it's dangerous. And right then and right there, this man known as Joshua Milton Belaya gives his heart to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what's more, more remarkable is that if you keep reading now, now he's about 45 years old and he's a pastor in Libya. Liberia, excuse me. We just changed countries real quick. Total different country. A pastor in Liberia, he's going around telling everybody about Jesus Christ. He's going around and he's finding the different victims that he hurt, that he killed their family members, and he's going to them and asking for forgiveness. He's going and saying, if I need to stand trial for my crimes, I will do that. If I need to be put to death for my crimes, I will do that. But what I do know is that I will make heaven because I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I have asked him for forgiveness. And a writer from the New York Times said, this is the most drastic and radical conversion since the Apostle Paul. And right now, right in the country of Liberia, there's a man going around telling people, who was once a monster, who was once way over here, telling them about the saving grace that there is always room for redemption in their life. I don't know where you are, but what I do know is the power of redemption redeemed a guy named Justin Graves whose story is different than yours. He redeemed a guy named Roy right over here to my right, Roy Robinson, who was a drug dealer at one time, but now there is purpose in his life because he's been redeemed. I know a guy named named Dennis Duncan, who was a mess and who was lost in his life, full and corrupt, but now he's mentoring men and showing them how to get past their addictions. I see D, who there's been so many issues, and yet there's a redemption factor that's coming to D Wilson's life, and she's bringing people to Jesus. I don't know where you're at, but what I do know, there is always room for redemption. Don't let your fall 
be final, but let his grace be enough for you today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And God, so many times, so many times, we are filled with a life that, Lord, there's unexpected things that happen. We never dreamed that we would act the way we acted. We never dreamed we would be at the place we are. Lord, we have regret, we have sorrow, we have remorse, just like Judas and Peter. But Lord, I pray that we would not let our fall be final. But Lord, we would understand there's still room for redemption. Man, there's still time for redemption. That God, your grace is enough for us. And so, Lord, I pray today, wherever we're at, wherever, whatever's going on, whatever's happened, whatever got us here, Lord, it's not what it's about right now. What it's about is what are we going to do where we're at? What what are we going to do? We could say every excuse for every reason that got us here, but Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with with where we're at? Lord, there's got to be a change. There's got to be redemption. And some of us, we have let shame and we have let guilt just shackle us and keep us from moving and keep us from turning. Lord, I pray today that we would understand if you can save a warlord in Liberia that has done so many heinous things, Lord, you cannot just save us. You can redeem us and use us for your purpose and for your kingdom, no matter how bad we've blown it. heads bowed and eyes closed this afternoon if you're here and you say, Justin, you know what, I'm here and you talk about drifting and there's just been unexpected things and I, I, I never thought I would be where I'm at. I never thought I would do what I've done. But today I know I need forgiveness. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe, maybe you have but you just, you know you're not where you're, nobody has to tell you you know so I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. We're just going to lead you in a prayer that leads you to redemption, that doesn't allow your fall to be final. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today? You say, Justin, that's me. Yeah, there's one. There's two. There's three. There's four. Is there anyone else? There's five. There's six. Is there anyone else? You join these six hands that are lifted before we go any further. You say, Justin, that's me today, and I want to join these six hands that are lifted. Is there anyone else? Yeah, I see your hand. There's seven. Is there anyone else? You say, Justin, that's me today. I want to join these seven hands that are lifted before I go any further because, man, this is my redeeming moment. And where I'm at isn't where I should be. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? You join these hands before we go any further. These eight or so hands. Is there anyone else? Yeah, I see you. Is there anyone else? You join these nine hands. Any, anyone else? Man, don't let this fall be final. Let this be your moment of redemption. If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me. You can say it to yourself. You can say it out loud, but mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today. I confess that I've sinned. Lord, I've messed up. And where I'm at isn't where I should be at. 
but I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, I ask that your grace and your love would enter my life. I repent of the life that I was living. I, I turn from the life that I was living to grab hold of the life you have for me. And I turn to you, Jesus. And I confess you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.